Thank you for tuning in to today's audio message. Here at Temple Baptist Church, we are a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, good morning. Didn't our worship team do a great job this morning? Didn't they do an awesome job? Thank you so much for leading us. I am Pastor Dave, and I'm the pastor of Youth and Family Ministries here at Temple Baptist Church, and it is hard to believe that the summer is almost over. We go one more day, one more day, and then Tuesday, we go back to school. Or you go back to school, I don't. So I want to make that really clear to all my students. So we have a lot of students who are very, very sad because they're going back to school. But we have a lot of parents who are excited because they're going back to school, right? Isn't that true? Uh, one of my favorite commercials I remember when I was a kid, uh, was, not a kid, a few years ago, was that Staples commercial. If you remember that, they're walking through Staples and all the kids have their heads down, they're walking through the aisles going, oh, this really sucks. And all the parents are dancing and they're riding on their carts. And the song is, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I'm sorry, students, but for parents, it is. It is better than Christmas. But you know what? We have had a great summer, haven't we? Uh, We've been spending time, yeah, we have. We have been spending time in the book of Philippians. We have been learning that this is no matter what happens, we can remain joyful because our joy is anchored in God. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but God has been challenging me as I'm listening, guys, listening to all the speakers, and just the Word of God's been hitting me. And I'm, my prayer is this, is that what we have learned this summer, we're not going to stick on a shelf. But as we go into the fall, that we'll take these things and we'll put them into practice. You know, it's interesting, as I was just praying before I came up, uh, one thing that God hit me with was this, is that this is not physical. It's spiritual. It's not a battle against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities of darkness. And this morning, I want to listen to me. This morning, what this is, listen, it's combat training. Because when you leave here today, there is the thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that Jesus has done in your life. But God has you here this morning because he wants you to be encouraged He wants you to walk out of here a little more equipped to fight the battle. And so I I say this a lot, but I'll never stop saying this. My prayer this morning is this, is that you listen to what God has to say to you, because you're not here by chance, you're not here by coincidence, because God doesn't work that way. But I would challenge you on this one too, not only listen to it, but live it out. Because if you do not live it out, it is useless. It is just something sitting on the shelf collecting dust. And that's when God doesn't want that for any of us this morning. And so I'm going to pray just to kind of get things focused, starting off right. So let's pray together before we open God's word and come face to face with him. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together as believers in your presence and to sing praises to you because you are so worthy of that. But Lord, these next few moments, you want to speak to us. We're going to open your word, and we know that you have something for us because we're not here by chance or coincidence. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ears to hear and the feet to live out whatever you want us to do. Lord, I pray you would move all the distractions of the week. Lord, I pray that you would just guard this place because I know that what you're going to share with us, the enemy does not want us to hear. And so he's going to to try to distract. 
And so I pray that in these next few moments that we stay focused, laser-focused on what you have to say. And Lord, I'm, if that means getting me out of the way, Lord, I pray you do that. Because you are the potter, I am the clay, and I thank you so much for that privilege. In your name I pray, amen. Well, this morning, I brought with me another object. I know, I'm the object guy. And the reason I do that, I'll tell you why, is because I am a visual learner. When I see things, I tend to remember them a lot better, so that's just the way I preach and teach. Now, here's the thing. Does anyone remember what I had last time when I was here? The Millennium Falcon, right? It was a toy I had with a kid when I was six years old. And I gotta be honest, that was a pretty cool object. That was probably the best object that I've ever had. This one is not as exciting, but you'll see how it makes sense. Uh, I have brought with me this morning a thermostat. Now, this is not as exciting as the Millennium Falcon, I know. But this is an older, older model, and the reason why you know that is because there's no digital display. In fact, I took this off the wall of my very first house, and I kept it as a souvenir. I put one back, by the way. Don't worry, I didn't take it off and leave it. All right. But uh, the purpose of a thermostat is this. It is to set and regulate the temperature in a room. Okay? Now, I have been married for 23 years, and I have to be honest with you. Now, don't worry, I asked my wife, and she said I could share this story. But the thermostat has become a real point of contention in our marriage. You laugh, but it's not funny, all right? Here's the thing. The reason why is because my wife is always too hot. She is hot, but not that way, okay? Uh, and I'm always too cold, okay, always too cold. My wife likes it at 20 degrees Celsius, which is 68 degrees Fahrenheit. And I like it at 22 degrees Celsius, which is about 72 degrees Fahrenheit. And I know you're thinking, Dave, it's silly. But let me tell you something. Those two degrees have been a constant struggle in our house. I'm ashamed to admit this. We're both here to this. But what we do is this. And when, when the other one is not looking, we adjust it. We're la you're laughing because I'm not the only one here, right? We adjust it to what we want, our desire to temperature. Now... I had been married for about 15 years at this point, and I thought I had come up with the perfect plan to get my way. Sounds like great marriage counseling, right? Perfect plan. What I decided to do is this, is my wife always went to bed earlier than I did. And so what I thought is, like, this is what I'm going to do. My wife will go upstairs, go into the bedroom, she'll fall asleep, I'll give it a couple hours, let her fall asleep. So she's sound asleep, and then what will happen is this, is on my way up, I'll just up two, two degrees, right? My wife will never know. I'm thinking to myself, this plan is foolproof. Dave, you're a genius. That's what I was thinking. Little did I realize that my wife has a superpower. In fact, it's one among many superpowers I've discovered over the years, but she has the ability, okay, no lie, she has the ability to detect the slightest degree in temperature change in her surroundings. Now, you laugh, but it is no lie, because I will never forget that night. I said goodnight to my wife, knowing what my plan was, right? She went upstairs, closed the door, fell asleep. I gave it about three hours, just wanted to make sure, all right? And then I turned the thermostat up. Now, I was really good. Like, you know when you walk upstairs, they creak? Not that night. 
I was like a ninja, all right? And so I opened the door. I actually, I actually took some WD-40 on the hinges because it squeaked a bit. I didn't want to get caught, right? So I opened up very quietly, and there's my wife sleeping, okay? And she is in a deep sleep. I'm thinking to myself, yes. I crawl into bed, and no sooner does my head hit that pillow, my wife wakes up from this deep sleep, and she says, I'm hot. <laughs> and then she turns to me and she says, did you turn off the temperature? And I'm sitting there going, how did you do that woman? That is amazing. Now here's the thing, I was overwhelmed with guilt, so I had to admit to my wrongdoing, and like any good husband, I went down, guess what I did? I put it down to degrees. Now, what I quickly realized was this, is that there was no messing with my wife because she has superpowers that I will never understand, right? Husbands, can I get an amen? Yeah, it's true, right? Our wives get these powers, we're like, oh man, right? Now, here's the thing I want to tell you. The reason we wanted control of the thermostat was because the control of the thermostat gave you power because you got to determine the temperature in that room because that is what a thermostat does. Now, I know some of you are probably scratching your head saying, Dave, how does that relate to your sermon and how does that relate to our theme no matter what? Well, let me tell you. We have been talking about this whole idea that no matter what happens in life, we can still experience joy. And we have seen that in the life of Paul. Because remember this, as he's writing this letter, okay, Paul is in prison, awaiting trial. And this trial could possibly lead to his death. But he's still full of joy. In fact, so much so that he actually writes the letter of joy, which is the book of Philippians. Now, the interesting thing is this, is the reason he was able to do that was because he didn't allow his circumstances to affect him. What he did was this, is he allowed his joy to affect his circumstances. In essence, he was like a thermostat. Right? His joy was set in God. And because it was set in God, it was anchored in God, it changed his situation. It changed his outlook. It changed the way he saw his circumstances. Now, over the last few weeks, we have been examining our lives. And let's face it, it's been painful because I can only speak for myself, but there are things that God has shown me and said, Dave, you gotta, you gotta change that, right? And it becomes very painful. But here's the thing, if we're being honest with ourselves, we have probably discovered that when it comes to life, we are more like a thermometer, right? than a thermostat. Instead of allowing our joy to affect our surroundings and our situations, what happens is this, is we allow our circumstances and our surroundings to actually rob us of our joy. And this morning, I have the privilege of wrapping this all up, but as we wrap this up, what's gonna happen is this, is Paul is gonna give us one more thing before he closes this letter. One more thing that's gonna help us move from this way of living to this way of living, all right? So if you have your Bibles, or your iPads, or your phones, or a device with the Bible on it, 
I want to encourage you to open it to the last chapter. All right. Chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 10 to 20. Now, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. The Scripture will be on the screen. But if you don't have a Bible, can I encourage you to come and see me afterwards? Because we want to give you a Bible. In fact, someone came the last time I preached, and we gave them a Bible because we want you to have this in your hands. I think it's really important that you see it for yourself, whether it's in paper form or digital. I want you to see that this is where it is. We're not just pulling things out of the sky. Okay, this is in God's Word, and this is really important stuff. All right? So I'm going to start at verse 10 of chapter 4, and it says this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church would share in me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I receive from Aphrodite the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me go back for a moment to this illustration of the thermometer and the thermostat. I don't know if you realize this, but a thermometer doesn't change anything. It doesn't. All it does is register the temperature of its surroundings. And therefore what happens is this, is it will go up and down. Right? But a thermostat sets and regulates the temperature. In fact, here's the thing, it actually changes the temperature when it needs to be changed. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Being a thermometer in life means that we lack the power to change things. In fact, what happens is this, is those things actually change us. And our life pattern is this, up and down, up and down, all the time. But we've seen in this book that Paul has been a thermostat. You see, for him, he did not allow his circumstances to change him. And so the thing was, is he didn't have these spiritual ups and downs as the situation changed. In fact, what happened was this. Instead of allowing things to change him, what Paul did is this, is he stayed steady as he kept doing the work of Christ and serving Christ. This is the thing that hit me. Do you realize that Paul was not the victim of his circumstances? Paul was the victor over his circumstances. And I think it's interesting because I think for a lot of us as Christians, and I know I've been there, I have been more of a victim at times than a victor. 
Something bad happens, and I react. And when that happens, I am a victim. But what we see is this, is Paul is like, no matter what happens, I'm going to be a victor. Why? Because God has given me the strength to be this victor. In fact, Paul makes three declarations that reflect this mentality that he has. He says this in the passage, I can accept all things. Verse 11 says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I can accept all things. Then what Paul says is this, not only can I accept all things, but I can do all things. Verse 13 says, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. I can accept all things, I can do all things, and the last thing that Paul says is I have all things. Look at verse 18. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Aphrodite the gifts you've sent. They were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. See, this is the interesting thing. Paul did not need to be pampered to be content because he found his contentment in the spiritual resources that Jesus provided for him. In fact, I would say this, that those resources actually became anchors in Paul's life. Now, I want you to get this. Contentment is not complacency. And contentment is not a false peace based on ignorance. And contentment is not an escape from the battle that we find ourselves in spiritually. This is how Paul defined contentment. Contentment is an abiding peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. Listen to the last verse of, last, the last part of, of verse 11. It says this, I love this. It says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. There are two words in this, in this verse that I think are really vitally important. Learned and content. Learned means this. It means learned by experience. And so what Paul was saying here is this. This spiritual contentment that you see in my life I didn't get the moment I accepted Jesus. It didn't automatically appear. The reason I have this contentment is because I've learned it over time. And I've learned it through the difficult situations and circumstances that I have gone to. Because in those situations, I have run to God. And when I've run to God, I've realized that that's what brings me contentment. Now, the second word is content which actually means contained. Let me read this to you. It is used to describe someone who finds their source of strength from within instead of relying on their surroundings. All right? The Greek word actually means this, self-sufficient. Now, as believers, we know this, that we are not sufficient in ourselves. We know that. Because we find our sufficiency in Christ. And so, interesting, because God lives within us, we can say that we are content. And the reason why is because we know that our source of strength comes from within and comes from someone that is greater. And so Paul was content because he allowed the Spirit of God from within him to affect the situations around him instead of allowing the situations to affect his joy. Now, in this passage... Paul reminds us of the three spiritual anchors that he had 
and that we have that'll stabilize us and will actually give us contentment in the midst of the storms of life. So I want to encourage you to write these three things down. If this is all you get from today, this will be good. Okay? Three things. Number one, the providence of God. That's the first anchor. It says this in verse, uh, verse, four of chapter, uh, verse 10 of chapter 4. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. You know, we live in a world of science, and science says this, is that everything just happens. And we hear very little now about God's providence. But let me tell you what providence is. It's made up of two words. Pro, which means before, and video, which means to see. And so God's providence is simply this, that God sees to it beforehand. Now, it doesn't mean that God just simply knows beforehand, because providence is so much more than that. It, was God, it, is, it is God working in, our, in advance to arrange the circumstances and situations of our life to fulfill His purposes, not necessarily ours. Okay? And that is why in this passage it says that Paul rejoiced in the Lord He didn't rejoice in the Philippians for the gift that he received because he knew it wasn't the Philippians giving the gift. It was God working in them to give this gift. And the reason why Paul knew that was because he anchored himself in the providence of God, knowing that God was going to work in advance to arrange all the circumstances in his life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to fulfill his purposes. Paul knew that God would provide no matter what. And so this is what I love about the life of Paul, is this, is he basically waited in anticipation to see what God would do. Not if God would do something, because he knew he would. He was just excited to see what God was going to do this time. Warren Wearsby said this quote, which I thought was amazing. He said this, Life is not a series of accidents. Life is a series of appointments. Do you get that? Life is not a series of accidents like evolution would like to tell you. Life is a series of appointments arranged by God. That's what God's providence is. And that's why God's, I mean, God's providence was an anchor in Paul's life because he realized if God's going before me, I have nothing to fear. He's going to take care of things. He's going to arrange those things for my best interest. All right? So, the providence of God, the first anchor. Second anchor is this, is the power of God. Look at verses 11 to 13. It says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know it is to be in need, and I know it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this, get this, all of this through him who gives me strength. I think it's interesting, you hear this passage, and Paul is very quick here to remind the Philippians that he is not complaining. Because his happiness didn't depend on the circumstances or his things. His joy came from something deeper, something that was apart from poverty or prosperity. Now, I want you to get this, because I read this this week, and I thought, this is interesting. I believe that prosperity does more damage in our lives 
than adversity. Prosperity does more damage in our lives than adversity. The passage that I was brought to was a passage where Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea. And this church was a very wealthy church. If you look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, this is what Jesus says. This is Jesus speaking. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, you hear those words, and you're like, ah, Jesus, those are pretty harsh words. But the reason why Jesus said it is because he realized this, is that prosperity leads to power. And it is so easy for power to go to our heads. And what happens is this, is when power goes to our heads, we begin to say things like this. Look what I can do. Instead of saying, look what God has done. And so what Paul does here, he makes it very clear to these Philippians that it is not about him. Even though God was using him in a great way, he realized it had nothing to do with me because he knew where he came from. It was all about God working in him. And that is why he was able to say with such confidence that I can do all things through him who gives me strength because he was anchored in God's power. Right? So, number one, providence of God. That's the first anchor Paul gives us. Second anchor he gives us is this, is the power of God. And the last anchor he gives is the promises of God. As you read this, these remaining verses, Paul is moved by how God has used these believers to give. And Paul reminds them that their gift is an investment and it's a sacrifice to further the work of God. In fact, listen to what Paul says. We've read this verse before, but I want to read it again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, it says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Aphrodite the gift you have sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, a pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In these verses, Paul has anchored himself to a promise of God. And the promise of God is this, God will supply all of my needs. You see, Paul was grateful for the obedience of the Philippians, but he realized the gift wasn't really the Philippians. The gift was God supplying all of his needs. And that is why he says in verse 18, I'm gonna kind of paraphrase this, but what he says is this, the Philippians, You met my need. Now God is going to meet your need. You met one need I had, but God will meet all of your needs. You gave out of your poverty, but God will supply all of your needs out of his riches in glory. And you can almost picture, as I was was thinking about it, I can almost picture Paul writing this down. But writing with such boldness and such confidence because he knew God's promise. And he not only knew it, but he experienced it. Look up here for me. Listen to me. Listen to me. The reason why Paul said, My God will meet all of your needs is because God had met all of his needs. You see, 
Promises are just promises until you experience them. Because the moment you experience a promise in God's life, what happens? They become real. And so the reason why Paul said to Philippians, listen, God's going to meet all of your needs is because he's met all of my needs. And he said it so boldly because it was alive to him. They weren't a bunch of promises written down in a book that you just read. They were something real in his life. All right? You know, we have studied the book of Philippians. And we can say without a doubt that Paul was full of joy no matter what. Because he was anchored in the providence, the power, and the promises of God. And these three anchors held him in place during the storms of life. Let's take a moment to just turn the tables for a moment. Okay? What about us? What about us? The majority of us come to church every Sunday. But when it comes to these anchors, listen to me, when it comes to these anchors in our lives, how secure are they really? If you're to be honest. When it comes to God's providence, listen to me, do you truly believe, or do we truly believe, that God will provide for us? Do you know how we can tell if we really believe that? Do a simple thing. We just check the grip on our stuff. If we need, we need to see how tightly we are holding on to our stuff. Because if we really believe that God's going to provide, guess what? We're going to be open-handed with all of our stuff. But the moment doubt begins to creep in, it is amazing just how quickly that grip tightens. And let me tell you something. If you live your life this way, you will, not if or maybe, you will miss out. You will miss out on so much. You will miss out on the blessings of God. And the reason why is because you're so focused on this stuff. You will miss out on the joy of giving to others because you have made it all about yourself. But being anchored in the province of God, what that means is this, is that you live your life open-handed. And what happens is this, is you experience the joy of giving to others. But you also experience the joy of being blessed by God. Right? Because God is going before us. And so this thing is, we don't know what the future holds, but we want to make the most of what we have right now. And if we're open-handed, what that means is we can bless others, and then God can bless us. That's the providence of God, or God's providence. Let's look at this whole idea of God's power in our lives. Let me ask you a question. Who is the driving force behind our lives? Is it about us achieving Or is it about God working? I have to be honest with you. Living our lives in our own strength is exhausting. I've done it. It's exhausting. And when Paul says this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, there's something so freeing about that statement, isn't there? When you begin to realize it's not about you and it's all about God working in you, I don't know about you, but it allows me to breathe a lot easier. It does. 
But here's the thing. In order to experience that freedom in your life, listen to me, it means you have to surrender. You have to surrender all of your agendas, all of your will, all of your, all of your desires. And say, okay, God, this is about you. It's not about me. Now, after reading this book, and after reading this passage, what you realize is this, is that once Paul actually did that in his life, he didn't have any regrets. And I think for a lot of us, we don't want to surrender to God because we're afraid of what God may make us do, right? But I can tell you something. I have talked to people who I respect in my life who have surrendered their life to God, and I'll tell you something. The stuff that they're doing after they surrender to God is far greater than the stuff they did before. Because they're actually listening to God. And here's the thing, is when you surrender to God, you have to depend on God because you're no longer in control. God's providence, God's power. Let's talk about this last one before we wrap things up. How are we doing when it comes to this anchor of God's promises? You know, this book is full of God's promises. It is. But this is what amazes me, being a Christian for 40-some-odd years and being a pastor for almost 30 years. What amazes me is how many believers have one of these, well, even, probably even more than one of these. But here's the thing, and this is where it hurts a little bit. That's okay. But they don't really know the promises. And don't get me wrong, I know you've gone to church all your life. And I know you know about them. But here's the thing, is you don't really know them. Because you haven't made them part of your life. And the reason I can say that is because I was one of them. I went to church all of my life. I was that good little Christian boy that sat in the front row that did nothing wrong. I went to Bible college. I got a degree in God's promises. But here's the thing is I knew about God's promises, but it wasn't until God said to me, Dave, you need to know my promises. And how you know my promises is this, is you actually allow them to become part of you. You actually memorize them. And I know for some of you here, you're like, oh, I can't do that. You can memorize a lot of things. You memorize what you want to memorize. Right? And see, the great thing is this. This is the exciting part. When you choose to anchor yourselves in God's promises, what that means is this, is no matter what storms of life come, this is what I love, the lies of Satan won't overwhelm you. And the reason why is because you're holding tightly to the truths of God. Now, I'm just going to say this. In order to experience to the fullest, it's not having your Bible beside your bed. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, right? It's making it a part of you because here's the thing, is when Satan starts lying to you and starts attacking you, I can, all I can say is this, I have experienced that in my life, I am paralyzed, literally. And the last thing I want to do is open God's word. Because what I'm doing is I'm beginning to believe the lies. But here's the cool thing. And I just experienced it a few weeks ago. I was under a huge attack. I don't know what was happening, but I was just beating myself up. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, I had memorized this verse probably, probably three or four months ago. And I hadn't even re- reviewed it. 
And in that moment, God brought to mind Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and who died for me. And I didn't have much strength to do anything, but I had strength to repeat that about 30 times. And the Word of God says this, that if we submit to God, we can resist the devil, and he will flee from us. But I'll tell you something, in that moment, I did not have the strength to go, okay, what was that verse again? I was there, and I was just like, no, I'm not going to believe these lies, because I know the truth. I just don't know about the truth, I actually know the truth. And I'm not bragging, I'm not, because I was in the same spot. I memorized, memorized the scripture, I thought I couldn't do it. But I have just found that in doing that, man, that anchors you. Satan wants to, 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 steal, to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said this, I want to give you life and give it to the fullest. That is why God has given us his word. Would you agree? All right. Well, we have come to the end of the book of joy. But as we wrap this book up, I don't want you to forget that these words that Paul has written to us, listen to me, he has lived out. Because you've got to picture the situation, right? He is writing these, these words in prison, awaiting trial, which possibly could end in his death. But despite everything that's going on, he remains joyful because Paul was a thermostat instead of a thermometer. Instead of allowing his situation to affect his joy, he allowed his joy that he found in God to ultimately influence the outlook of his life. I'm just telling you, this is the way God wants us to live. Not like this. But in order to live like this, you have to be anchored in the providence of God. You have to believe that God will provide for you. You have to be anchored in the power of God. You've got to realize it's not about me, it's all about God, and I am totally surrendered to Him. As scary as that is, you've got to get to that point. And you've got to be anchored in the promises of God. You can't just know them or know about them. You actually got to know them and they got to be part of your life. Now, here's the cool part. If you do that, not only will it dramatically change our lives, but it will be a rich testimony of who God is to the world around us. It will. Because let's face it, a life lived like that stands out. If you live a life full of joy, and no matter what your circumstances are, it doesn't phase you. People are going to go, what is so different about you? And I believe this, if you live that kind of life, you will have more opportunities to share your faith than you will know what to do with. And guess what? You won't be standing in a corner telling people, they'll be coming to you because they will see something different in you because they will want that in their life. People want to have peace. They want to have joy. The problem is, is the world's looking in the wrong place. And here's the thing, is we've got the answer but we've got to be willing to live it out because our words only go so far. Our actions will make an impact. So, the summer is over. No matter what, the series is over. But I'll tell you something, your toolbox is full. 
And so the choice you have to make is this, is what you're going to do with that toolbox. This breaks my heart, but I know some of you will take that toolbox and go, oh, that was a great series. Put it on the shelf and let it collect dust. I know Pastor Donald and Pastor Glenn and, Pastor, and myself, Pastor Dave, the reason we've done this and we sat together and we thought about this and we prayed over this is because we want to see life change, right guys? We just don't want to see it just put to the side. Right? We want you to experience that kind of joy, but in order to do that, you've got to open up the toolbox and you've got to begin to use those things. Because when you do, what will happen is this, is you will experience the kind of joy that God desires for every one of his children. Let me pray. Tor, thank you so much for the fact that you love us, and thank you so much that we can find our joy rooted in you. And Lord, over this summer, we have learned so many things from so many gifted speakers. And Lord, we pray that those things that you've impressed upon our hearts, that we would take them and not just put them on the shelf, but we'd use them. Because I, Lord, I know that as believers, as your children, you want to, us to experience life to the full. And if we experience the joy that you've given us and you desire for us, we will experience that. So I pray the things that we've learned today and throughout the whole summer, we would take and we'd use, and we'd see you move in mighty ways in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.